Hey, it's Karen Hunter from the Karen Hunter Show on Sirius XM Urban View. Here's a highlight from today's show. And joining me, he is a Monday mover, everyday mover. He's doing all of the things. As a matter of fact, um, he was one of the catalysts for me, uh, my, my meteoric rise here. Yes, he was. I uh, got to be a part of, of his vision. And then uh, he's also joined me for the last couple of years talking with my class. And he's out there doing all of the things with his own podcast called Stand Up with Pete Dominic. Let me welcome to the show, Pete Dominic. Hello, my friend. Hello, everybody. Hello, family. It is an honor and a privilege to be in your space, to be talking with all of you. And I am I, since you invited me on last week, Smiz reached out to me. Hell of a producer you got there. Where did he intern? Yeah. And I, <laughs> I've been so excited for this and I am really happy to be here. Thank you. Listen. Well, for, so people who don't know, uh, Smiz started at SiriusXM as Pete Dominic's intern. That's right. And that's uh, that's how uh, I I think then he was uh part time and then now he now he's my producer. So thank you for for uh you know breaking him in for us. That's what you did. You you made you tenderized him. Yeah, I mean I would use a different phrasing. Yeah. But yeah, yeah that, I did all those things for sure. Yeah, yeah, I appreciate it. So uh I'm committing myself not to an institution but to this institution. Every every day I want to have smart people on to talk about the things because I believe that we're in an inflection point in our history. I believe our democracy, our by our I mean America and I'm I'm really starting to uh, feel a little uncomfortable about this we and us in in America and and my place and my role in it. Uh, it it's becoming less and less uh, clear about what it means to be an American, and I feel like uh, this pandemic has exposed uh, something that's been brewing for quite some time. And I don't know if we should fix it, but I want to talk. I want to talk to people who have been contemplating it. So let's let's just start with education. You're you're raising two beautiful daughters, and um, I don't know what it would feel like today if I'm in Chicago as a parent who needs to send my children to school because I have to work. (laughs) I cannot because the teachers have said it's not safe for them and they decided that they're not showing up and I'm not mad at the teachers because God, teachers don't make enough money to deal with what they're dealing with right now. And it's not just Chicago, uh, New York. I mean, all over the country, we are confronting this, you know, the, the pandemic and teachers, the shortage, and how do we educate? Should we remote learn? Where do you say? And, and Lori Lightfoot is like the parents are upset. Yeah, of course yeah. they're upset. But you know, what's the, and the kids are now protesting. Children are like, listen, <laughs> what are y'all doing, adults? What What are your thoughts on what's happening? Well, I think it's a super important issue. I think that it's different for everybody in, in, in different states and different districts. Obviously, your kids being different ages matter. It matters whether or not you've got to go to a place to go to work. And what are you supposed to do with with your child? Yeah, you know, part of school is, you know, the existence of school allows you to go do a thing, go do a job, have some free time even. And at worst, it's daycare school. At best, they're getting a great education, but it's still a place for them to be also safe. They're generally going to be more safe. But I mean, across the country and including in Chicago, each one of these school districts, including mine, is, you know, between Karen, a a bad decision and a bad decision. So if you keep kids out of school, we know that the mental effects are, are devastating. But how do you manage the high level of transmission with this new variant? 
And it's really, really a tough thing. But as you just said, you know, we live in a country where where two things cannot be true at once. There are no gray areas, you know, and the truth is several parties have different and competing answers. But what people want, unfortunately, I think conditioned to hear and almost desire at this point is a country of libtards and Nazis. I mean, we can't we have a hard time communicating with with one another uh, on public broadcasts such as the Karen Hunter show or or my daily podcast, much less, you know, on Facebook. And I think that we need to realize that the most important thing that we can do to solve this problem is vaccinate our kids. And when you look at vaccination Ooh. rates, I think that's where you got to start. I think that in uh, Chicago, so uh, for example, in, Chica- ahead, in Chicago, the 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 rates of vaccination at majority black schools, the average vaccination is 28 percent. Majority Latino high schools, it's 57 percent. They break it down by ethnicity, by socioeconomics. And obviously there are issues in all those communities with daycare and so much more. So I think if you start there, then there's less of an issue with with the spread, meaning that you're not going to get as sick It's certainly the teachers. Vaccination. We, we can't agree on that, though. Uh, okay. Uh, yeah. The Americans yeah. like we're I think we're at 63 percent nationally vaccination rate. 63. Six, we needed to have 75 to 80 percent for herd immunity. Right. When the vaccine first came out, people had every and there's still people right now uh, who rather drink their own urine, who rather take Viagra. I mean, these are protocols right now. People. That's why I got to do the the live read for Pete's new urine jars. Uh, And I appreciate you letting me do that on your show, Karen. Uh, Pete's Pete's uh, uh, pee jars are collected each night uh, and harvested from only the most effective urine. And anyway, thank you for that. I appreciate you letting me. I, I think plug. though you have to drink your own urine. So are you oh. drink? It's not that you. It's not just any urine. It's your own oh. urine to to okay. to help with your. Let me see what this asshole. Uh, this anti. Can you not tell anybody about this, that? No. All right. Jars are moving fast. Are they? What are you selling them for? Because I know there was a lady uh, selling you know, farts, and she made like a, a quarter of a million dollars <laughs> selling farts, and then she hurt I herself. I saw that. That's crazy. Uh, mine, mine go for a premium though. You got to contact me directly, and I bring it. It's a whole thing. It's a whole thing. Okay, and it's like, you're like a Grubhub, P Hub. Yeah, I like yeah. That. Okay, I, I'll send them you. to you via drone. They just drop a mason jar. But you're that, that right about. Dangerous. You're you're, you're <laughs> you got to catch it. You're right about how wild it has gotten in conspiracy land. But I guess. You know, if I were to make a supposed divisive point, but a good point, I think, is if you're a parent who is mad that schools are closing and you're not back, you're not your kids aren't vaccinated and they're eligible to be, then I guess you don't have as much of a right to be that angry. If you're a teacher who's not vaccinated, which is not necessarily the case in Chicago or most most, uh, I think, districts at this point, either mandated or highly recommend it, you know, then then you're part of the problem. You got it. You got to join the community of vaccinated people. And I, I get why that's controversial, but it it's sad because um, it's, it's unique here as well, more than some a lot of other places in the world. I'm wondering uh, number here is eight, six, six, eight, zero, one, eight, two, five, five. What parents are doing right now? Um, I do think there's an opportunity. I thought our education system was broken. 
I think our political system is broken. I think yeah. our society is broken. So these these are opportunities I feel like to reexamine. I don't feel like we've been educating. The fact that CRT has crept into the conversation tells me everything I need to know about the brokenness of our education system. That that is even a thing that people are arguing about uh, in this day and age when uh, there's so much that we aren't learning. Now, you know, teachers feel under siege and they are, you know, this is to me one of the most thankless jobs in the world are teachers and they don't get paid nearly enough. It's, it, they don't get paid nearly enough. I'm going to say it again. They should be the highest paid teachers, nurses, highest paid in society. And uh, 866-801-8255, that is uh, how I feel about it. But before we get into that, and I want to hear from parents today, if you are trying to figure out something, or especially if you're in Chicago, you know, I, I know Lori Lightfoot is trying to do what's best. I don't think she's there to try to blow up Chicago. I think she wants it to work at the same time. You know, threatening teachers is not you. You're not going to win that Lori Lightfoot. I just want you to know that the teachers union is very powerful. Uh, that's not a fight that I don't think she I think she's going to lose that one. But I think that's but. a I think that's a really good point. And I think that both sides have, you know, I mean, you know, the negotiating point there is is allowing the teachers to teach remote and you know the the city the lightfoot administration doesn't want to doesn't want to allow that but this is you know you mentioned the crt i'm i'm unique i'm intimately involved in that fight in my community me and and several other parents and families have have led the fight at school board meetings as well as organizing talking to our local politicians and you know, that is not a thing that we can talk about why the our education system is broke and we can all have different opinions in different ways. But the teachers aren't teaching that and the students aren't learning that the the problem is media and that that campaign specifically or others like before it, like the Sharia, Sharia law or the caravan, the media is scaring parents. Uh, into believing that something's happening that's not. And so that's so wait, pa, 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 you, you just dropped that in. Uh, what does that fight look like? All right, you're, you're, you go, oh, yeah. you show up to your school board. And, and yeah. for many of us, I've never, you know, I've been to a school board meeting because I had to cover them. I covered education for the Daily News for four years. So I, I've been to school board meetings. I've been to Board of Education meetings. I've been to UFT meetings, United Federation of Teachers. I've been, I've been in those rooms. What does it look like? And why did you decide to get involved? Like what, walk us through it well it looks like organizing it looks like parents and, and and families organizing to combat the narrative that some people in our community are are using are, are trying to convince the board and the rest of the community about what is being taught in schools the crt thing was it came up it, it, it was an idea that came up in a think tank and it was sold and it went viral because Fox News and the rest of the right wing media started saying it over and over and over. And it really took on. It was it was a made for America, I think, narrative, you know, unique to our, our racial injustice here. And so me and a whole bunch of other parents, we are organized. We go to all the board meetings. We have T-shirts. So the board knows how many more of us there are than them. Uh, we wear the masks at the board meetings. They didn't want to wear masks. I mean, it's that is that type of divisiveness. And also. We're meeting with our local politicians and we're pressuring them and we're saying you have to have diversity, equity and inclusion in our schools. And furthermore, my, you know, my mom was a public school teacher in the 80s in the Syracuse City School District. I've been working and advocating for teachers for a long time, including in our own district. And so we're also protecting the teachers to be able to teach uh, critical thinking and education and history and, and all of it the way that it needs to be taught. But the narrative that they are spinning about, you know, they're, they're the victims. And I think it's very important 
that white people get involved specifically. And the reason why I got involved is because I've always been involved on this issue. But, you know, there's that Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. quote about the white moderate. And, you know, Malcolm X had plenty to say about this as well. But basically, Dr. King, I don't have the, the exact quote in front of me, he's, he's less concerned about the far right, you know, the, 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 the outspoken racists and more concerned about the kind of moderate liberal who says one thing, but doesn't, but doesn't, you know, act it out. And I think he was talking about me. Mm. I remember hearing that quote for the first time. I was like, oh, man, he's talking about me. It's one thing to advocate for and say the right thing. It's another thing to take action when action is necessary. And so if you're a white person and you're currently not involved at, at, at the school board level, then you're part of the problem. Mm. Mm. 866-801-8255. Yes, There's a yes. difference also, of course, between being not racist and anti-racist. Mm-hmm. Well, I, I hate all of these terms, you know, but I think... Now, I was talking with Tom Hartman about this, you know, the responsibility to dismantle racism is is firmly and race, by the way, is a made up construct. So first, you know, it requires a couple of things uh, that collectively so-called white people have to start to wrestle with. Wh- why am I white? Because it was a political, it was a financial, it was, you know, an economic designation to create a, a class of people called white people. Um, and it was squarely to separate the indentured servants who were Irish from the black enslaved so that they wouldn't band together. So we created this white thing. They created this white thing and folks are invested in it. So even a Ted Cruz is invested in it. A Marco Rubio is invested in it, even though they may not technically have been white, you know, back in the 1600s, 1700s. But, you know, it's interesting. So that's number one. Like what what makes you yeah, white? But you make a just real quick. You made a point and then you illustrated the point. And I just want to highlight it because whiteness, blackness, it's all it's all a made up construct, as is evidenced by Cruz and Rubio and the Hispanic person in my community who passes for white and therefore was never bullied. She says no one's ever bullied me for being Hispanic. And I'm like, that's because no one knows you are. I mean, I know you are because you're telling me you are. Your last name is Gonzalez, your maiden name, but your married name is O'Shea and whatever it is, I'm making up names. But the point is, it illustrates your point that someone, the color of your skin, unfortunately, does too often determine the way that people look at you and treat you. And if you can be passed as white, you're not going to be marginalized as much. Facts. 866-801-8255. But I was bringing it up to, to highlight your point that sitting on the sidelines and not using the N-word and raising your children to not see color or whatever, it doesn't absolve you. You you have to be an active participant in dismantling this thing because until until all of us, you know, have access to everything, we this country that you think is so great is is teetering on a fall with that at the root of it. You know, us not dealing with this thing called racism and, and the inequality that was uh, from the founding principles. And I want to bring up a Washington Post story uh, today later on as well. So and we got some parents online. But, you know, I just I've, you're right. You can't you have to be involved. And if you're not involved, you're part of the problem. You want me to read the King quote? Or yes, no? please. I was looking for it. It's 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 a paragraph. Yes. Read it. He said. First, I must confess, this is a 1963 letter from the Birmingham jail. So I don't think there's audio of it. This is in that letter, a famous letter. He wrote, first, I must confess that over the last few years, I've been gravely disappointed with the white moderate. And he's talking, I think, today about today's white liberal, suburban white liberal, maybe. He writes, 
I have almost reached the regrettable conclusion that the Negro's great stumbling block and the stride toward freedom is not the white citizen's counselor or the Ku Klux Klanner, but the white moderate who is more devoted to, quote, order than to justice, who prefers a negative peace, which is the absence of tension, to a positive peace, which is the presence of justice, who constantly says, I agree with you in the goal that you seek, but I can't agree with your methods of direct action, and who paternal paternalistically feels that he can set the timetable for another man's freedom who lives by the myth of time and who constantly advises the Negro to wait for a more convenient season. Forgive me for my interpretation. Yeah, no, no, no. I mean, that that is one of, and if you haven't read the entire letter from a Birmingham, it's one of the best pieces of writing and admonishment and scorn and it's just so beautifully crafted. And it, it most of it is poking a finger at these so-called, you know, religious leaders who are like, just wait. You know, Johnson told him, just wait, just wait, just wait for the right time. You know, people, people will not change because they're going to wake up one day and go, oh, I was wrong. No, they have to be forced into change. And that's fine. We're here to do that. Got to force change. Uh, and that goes for all of us. That's why we need a trainer in the gym. Most of us on our own will not get up and go and do that extra rep or that extra set. You need somebody to push you into it. That's a and, great, that's, yes. a, that's a, that's a good analogy. You know, I was a personal trainer for seven years, Kim. Well, I could tell by your body that you probably did Thank something you. with it. Yes. I mostly worked on the skull machine. Yes, I can see that too. Uh, Pete Dominic is here. 866-801-8255. I also want to talk about Bob Saget because you two are a comedian. Uh, and it was devastating to see that cross my Twitter timeline last night and I thought it was a joke but then TMZ reported you know TMZ reports it is true uh yeah. that uh he had passed away and I just saw his tweet about you know yeah you know, he's got this big tour in Florida and it was the you know I don't do negative tour and he was just tweeting about how wonderful it was and then he was found dead at the age of 65 also I woke up to the news that one of my dear friends um a man that I uh that inspired me in, in so many ways uh and supported me Throughout my time uh, on the radio, M. Tume has also uh, become an ancestor. And I'm like, uh, this is a strange, the year has already, it's not even, we're 10 days in, and there's already loss after loss after loss. And I'm like, what is happening here? Uh, but let's go to the phones, 866-801-8255. Danielle in California wants to tell us what's happening there. Hi, Danielle. Welcome. Hi, Danielle. Welcome. Hi. Um, hey, hey, everybody. Okay, so I just broke my son free from high school. He texted me this morning to say that he's in class. His teacher is out with COVID, and so they're using their Chromebooks while the teacher is at home on Zoom and a sub is in the class. And then his just last class, there was another sub. She's like, no lesson plans, do what you want. So I just picked him up, just taking him home. <laughs> this is ridiculous. <laughs> But you obviously have the luxury to do that. So you could leave and go get your child, or did you have to take off of work? I actually am on my lunch break. It's going to be an extended one. Um, he's just picking up some dumplings right now. But just to get him back home and get him in front of the Chrome at home instead of just, you know, being class to class in the Chromebook while there's just basically a, a substitute there. And I value substitute teachers. I used to be one, but... California just needs to pull the plug and go online again. They just really do. That's all I wanted to say. No, I I have so many questions, and I know Pete does as well. And I'm sorry, Danielle, you called up. You're going to 
actually be the test case for all of our questions. You know, as a as a parent, and it's in the uh, car too. So okay, all right, I'm I'm mindful. But you know, I I I can't imagine sending my child to school. His teacher has COVID, so I feel like we're almost kind of our children become like the carriers. You know, because now they're being you know exposed daily to God knows what. The testing process is weird, especially those home tests. They're not as reliable. They're coming into your home every day after you're sending them out. You don't know what they're coming back with. Uh, if they're little kids, you know they're not being particularly fastidious with the mask wearing and the hand washing. I don't know how you feel as a parent in terms of the COVID exposure. So luckily, my son and both of us, we are vaccinated and boosted. And the high school they're, they've just given up on social distancing at his school. We're in suburban Southern California, and I'm worried. I spoke with his English teacher. She's worried, and, and actually she's out today. I just spoke with her last week, and she was just like, I have 180 kids. It's just a matter of time before I get it. And that's what I'm saying. So his you know, first period teacher, she is out with COVID. That's why she was teaching them from Zoom at her house while they looked at her on the Chromebook, even though they still are making them come to school. And I'm just really at a crossroads. It just feels like the only option for him in the high school, they do have an um, alternative school that's all online. But then he might have to switch schools right now just to take advantage of that. And this is his last semester of high school. I just mm-hmm. I just think that everything should be just online again. Now, my colleagues have little kids, and they want their kids to stay in school, which to me I just think is – exactly what you said they're touching everything they're playing around with each other but they're just like for them like the paralegals the secretaries they don't have the option like you just pointed out to you know take a two-hour lunch pick up their kids and then take them home so but it's just not a safe situation at all i think i think danielle karen danielle is a great call illustrates exactly the struggle that there is with different people. She talks about her life, her work, she's on her lunch break, worried about her kid, the school, you know, the, the actual teacher not being there. And then of course she talked about the, the younger kids. So I think it's, it's obviously different in different States and different school districts in terms of resources. I think that's one of the most important thing. I mean, one of the things that we're arguing about, and this really nauseates me is whether or not they should close school in a certain circumstances there is no choice if there's nobody to drive the bus if there's nobody to open the door teach the kids then i ask all these parents who are critical of of wanting the schools to stay open i say to them are you going to clean the toilets are you going to serve that nasty school lunch food are you going to teach algebra because if you're not there's not going to be any adults there at a certain point if enough people are ill to transport the kids to keep them secure much less give them an education so in in certain cases if if covid rates are so high and the adults can't make it. There's no number of substitutes that you can see. And you've seen this already with buses, starting with the, the first chain of custody that your child has interaction with the education system often is that bus. And if the bus doesn't show up, kid's not going to school. So, you know, in that case, I think we know what to do. And parents, you know, need, need to uh, understand how difficult the decisions are for administrators. And that's the other thing. I'll be the, the guy who gets beat up for for defending administrators and the superintendents and the boards of education who are, as I said earlier, have no good choices. No, um, but they should admit that. Like there's really, like you said, there two things can be true uh, and we can not have answers because we've never been here before globally. We've never been here before and it's okay. And it's okay to admit you made mistakes 
too. And I think that's the other problem. Like, no one wants to admit they're wrong about anything. So, and, and what works in California may not work in Newark, New Jersey, may not work in Southern F- Florida, you know, and we need to admit that too. It's not, you know, there can't be one solution for every place. And, right. um, you know, we have to be mindful of that. But thank you, uh, Daniel, for indulging. Uh, and God bless you and your child. Uh, and and I, I have so many other questions, but let's go to the next caller, Robin in Maryland. Welcome. Hi, Hi, Karen. Hi, Pete. Thank you so much. So um, so as a parent, I have a junior high schooler and I have uh, a two going on three year old. So I just want everyone to kind of think about schools not being a place where everyone is just catching COVID. Um, teachers are not one dimensional. They're humans going out into the world. They're going to Target. They're going to lounges. They're going to clubs. They're doing things to catch this virus outside of school. And we have to understand that the, the, my, my daughter, for example, we, we caught COVID during the Christmas break. She never caught COVID in school. She's the type of learner who needs to be in school to learn. By us taking the privilege away from the, our children, especially those who need it, that's, you know, we've already, we've already shown, or we've, they, they've already had studies to show that this has been a mental detriment to our children. And the fact that we're playing with our children in their education is just, it's going to affect them for years and years to come. I don't think that schools closing and going to be, you know, virtual, it's, it's not like you're, everyone is just catching COVID at the schools. Everyone is living their lives and going places and catching it in other places. It's not just the schools. And um, I wanted to say that, you know, our, our kids, that's teaching is a just like every other business going to a mall and working at the mall or working, you know, as a paralegal with that, that example that you guys use, these people have to go to work because that's what they have to do. Just like teaching a child, you have to be there in person. Some kids require that. So why are we, why are we making it seem like virtual just the way to go? Because certain because it's a pandemic that's contagious and some kids can't be vaccinated because they're in a certain age and those kids can spread it. And there's unfortunately breakthrough cases and not everyone who gets COVID, even if they're fully vaccinated and boosted has a good time of it. And we don't know what the lingering impact is of COVID. Even if you have a, you know, fully vaccinated and boosted and have a breakthrough case, we don't know because it's a no novel coronavirus. And if we can prevent it for a period of time, because the truth of the matter is what, which say is true under normal circumstances these are not normal circumstances we are not in normal times and unfortunately you know as pete said there are no good solutions so for me if it's about keeping people safe we're going i'm gonna err on that side of caution pete where do you sit i think that you know the caller demonstrates again another point of view that's a valid point of view but i have to I work with a lot of teachers unions, have my whole life. My mom was in a teachers union and I, I believe in them and I support them wholeheartedly because I think that you don't hear enough. Like so many of these other essential workers that work in say, you know, meat processing plants or migrant field workers, some of which have unions and, and, but they're not as always as powerful as say the teachers unions or the police officers unions and so on. And I think certainly in the case of the teachers unions, they are always looking out for what is best for the the students. And people will always say, oh, they're being selfish. They're looking at, no, they're definitely always looking out what's best for the students. And if we listen to them, I think a little bit more, 
uh, then then we would probably get further. That's that's generally where I side. Um, you know, but again, uh, you've, we've mentioned it a couple times, case by case, urban areas, suburban areas, rural areas, access to computers, access to vac. You know, well, everybody has access to vaccines. So that's not really, I think, any any longer an excuse. But I think resources matter, and we need to be more sensitive to the fact that some people have more than others in all conversations we're having. Mm, mm. And regarding the vaccine. Um uh, access, you know, children don't have choices. It's their parents that are making the choices for them. And if you're in a, uh, a bubble of anti, you know, vaccine, particularly, you know, in certain areas, you know, for whatever reason, you know, those children are indoctrinated with those, you know, same fears and uh, misinformation that is so prevalent right now. Oh, I'm so disgusted. Yeah. Uh, but thank you for your call, Robin. Uh, do appreciate your perspective, even if I disagree with it. Uh, don't you think I wonder if I'm sure you've examined this, Karen, but I wonder I'd love to hear it on your show, especially. One thing you mentioned earlier, I mean, the pandemic, I've heard this phrase so often, but it matters. You mentioned it earlier. And I think it's a it's so matter what what the pandemic has laid bare in terms of our moral qualities and characteristics. And and I wonder just if people would ask themselves, how much do you care about complete strangers? complete strangers what uh, about your brother you know there's all kinds of biblical references i'm not a religious person but i think that that everybody should have an answer to that. do you care about strangers 60 minutes last night um had a piece uh and i, I think it's uh, one step closer i think is the name of the uh yes one small step uh, they were uh, talking with this uh, organization, Dave Warby, uh, about a one step, one small step. Excuse me, his name is not Dave. It's Bridging America's Political Divide. One step, one small step is the name of the program where they get people from, like, it'll be a black Baptist with a white evangelical, completely sold out Trump person. They get them in a room. They. F- have each of them read each other's bio and then they have to discuss an issue that's not political that they have in common and they sit and interview each other. Um, and I'm working right now with Andrew Shu on something similar because, you know, he's, he's working to try to bring Americans together. And I'm at a point right now, Pete, where I'm not sure if that's possible, but you hit on something. And in that conversation, it's like, we don't see each other as, you know, if you're not in my tribe, if you're not in my group, if you're not in my family, and I'm going to throw it back to you the way I did Tom Hartman and Reed Galen and every other person that's been on this show, the the lack of context that we have about one another is because of the self, the willful segregation in this country, the willful segregation of white people, so-called white people, who 75% of whom segregate. And I'm sure your town is probably 90-something percent white. Uh, you know, re, is from Utah, 99% white. And that's on purpose, right? That's willful. I know that you've had experiences in school, and which is, you know, kind of shaped who you are as a person, which is why you're not a horrible person. And I don't think people think they're horrible. I think they think they're doing what's best for their kids, for the school, for their neighborhood, for their safety and all this other stuff. But you're, what you're saying is I have to live in this space because over there is dangerous. I have to live over here with these people because I know these people and I'm comfortable with these people. And this is where I want to raise my kids because this is you know good for my property value and it's good for their education, et cetera, et cetera. But what you've done is kind of also sent a message to them that there's something wrong over there. 
that there's something wrong with those people, that 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 somehow you're not going to get as good with those people. And, you know, we don't really mix with those people. So it's set. Seventy five percent of white folk in this country self-segregate. And I think that's part of the problem, too. So how can we ever care about one another, really? But it's beyond race. I mean, we're looking at folk on airlines on airlines. A comedian made a good point. We got bus riders in the air now. And that, but they're bringing that Greyhound bus culture <laughs> into the friendly skies, which is what. Well, we're I don't think I don't. There's any need to cast shade upon and disrespect upon <laughs> those of us who are more familiar with riding buses than planes. Uh, but I will speak for all of us when I say ma- uh, bad behavior abounds wherever rules are enforced, and I think that's another big problem with our society, with our culture in in America. Is this? This real thread of individualism and in that the rules don't apply to me and only to you. You're you're in the mall, you're at a park, an amusement park, whatever. I remember I went to an amusement park and there was a person with like everybody else wearing masks but them. Like what what's the difference between you and the rest of us? As far as the racial issue, I, uh, by the way, live in a town that is about 60 percent white, followed by 18.7 percent Hispanic, 11.6 percent of us are Asian. Uh, and then the rest. So it illustrates what you're saying, though. This is the suburbs of New York and the the part of where I live. It was settled <laughs> by racists, literally people who ran from the Bronx to escape or it's it's called white flight. They ran from the Bronx and they moved to where I live now. We didn't know that when we left the Upper West Side of Manhattan. Well, is it white Plains. Most, it's uh, Rockland <laughs> County. <laughs> White Plains, you see where it is. White Plains, a lot of black folks in it. Yeah, I know. I know. Uh, being funny. But, but the point is, your, your, your point is true. I mean, people don't mix. They self-segregate, even when we're forced to integrate, whether it be at our workplace and our a place of education or a place of worship, black churches, white churches. And obviously there's, there's, there's in between in many places, but people also like what they are familiar with and are afraid of the things that they are unfamiliar with. And I think it's true of, of all folks, of all humanity to some extent. But I raised my kids to be driven by curiosity. So that was what was always important to me, being curious. And I grew up in an all-white town in upstate New York and I had just enough a taste of diversity to be like, ooh, I want a little more of that. I want to try some of that because this iceberg lettuce is getting, like, Do is there anything else? Do we have yeah. anything? Yes. But iceberg lettuce here? And finally, I met some romaine and I met all the different kinds of lettuce. And I was like, more of that. I want I want to try more of that. And I think that it's important to instill that into your kids to encourage them. And I mean, if you live in, a, in, in an area, if you're, say, well, I'll speak for the whites. If you're an all white and your family's all white and you look at your 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 music, your albums, your mixes, and they are all white, then maybe you need some jazz. I'm not suggesting r and I'm not a crazy white person, but I do suggest jazz and, and hip hop. And, and if, if you have no you know, foreign music, no, my, my wife has Italian spoken music. Like it can be music, it can be food. I say cultural appropriate other cultures in your own home, introduce them to your kids so that your kids aren't afraid to meet new people, to try new things, to go places. I cannot wait till my girls get out of this high school because they got wings, Karen, and they are ready to fly. If we can get through COVID. Let me take one more call and we're going to go to break. Maya in Virginia, newly elected school official. Welcome to the Karen Hunter Show. Hey, Maya. Congratulations. Hi, Karen. How are you? I hope you guys can hear me well because I'm in my car. Yes. 
Okay, great. I, I think that all the points that everybody made is is uh, they're all valid and they all make tremendous amount of sense. I just wanted us just to be um, maybe think a little bit about or just be sensitive to the fact that um, in keeping people safe, like you said, some people are more safe at school with the risk of COVID than being at home with their abusers and mm-hmm. child molesters oh, and wow. parents who like we saw social services like that type of stuff. Reports went down at the schools, but they went up with social services. Um, also, some people don't eat unless they're at school. So that is something that we think about as well when we think about do we keep schools open? And we know that, you know, 45% of our population is on free and reduced lunch, so they cannot afford to get fed breakfast and lunch at home. Do we, do we keep schools open and allow these kids to have food? Or do we close school, which would keep everyone safe? Like my kids would be safer at home, but my kids aren't abused and they have food, right? And not everybody has broadband where I live, so they can't do virtual because there is no way to get the internet from where they live. So, and you know, everyone is different, but in my county, we have rural, we have suburban, and we have urban. So it's almost like three areas in one. And so I think a lot of areas are dealing with, it's you know, it's not just um, black and white. It's so much gray of how do you take care of all the students. Um, many students, like actually the whole country, we have a learning gap now, right? Like my kid is in third grade, but she is academically in second grade. And she left school in first grade when COVID first hit. So she's so far behind. She cannot learn virtually. I sat there every single day with her because I I was a stay-at-home mom. Every day I sat there with her and her amazing teacher, and my kid didn't pick anything up. So I just, oh. it's just different for everybody, yeah. and, and I'm not saying that any, any argument is more valid. I'm just saying that they're all valid. I think that, I think that the, what the caller is talking about in terms of disadvantages and, 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 the, and the crazy, scary, dangerous things that kids are facing as a result of being uh, home during this pandemic, we already knew this was true, these issues before the pandemic, because it's called summer. And these kids had those issues with, with food programs, with abuse, just with crime, just getting in trouble. That's when I got into trouble, when I had too much time on my hands. So I got arrested because, as I, you may have told you before, Karen, uh, me and my friends got arrested for playing mailbox baseball during the day before lacrosse practice. And if you want a wider crime than that, then I will give you skiing illegally on a trail into a tree. But the point the, the, the caller is making is that we have to provide opportunity for these kids safe choices. And I would just argue that there is a policy proposal right now. It won't help these kids right now, but it will help future generations. Every other country has it, and it would go a a long way further than almost any other policy we can. And it's part of the Democrats' proposal in the Build Back Better plan. It's called universal pre-K. Many of us had nursery school. You had pre-K. You paid a lot of money for it, if you were me. And it made all of the difference statistically to these kids to solve for many of the issues that the caller just mentioned at a very, very young life. So I wanted to just suggest something positive policy-wise that would go a long way. But that's not going to keep them from their uh, uh, abuser, uh, and that's also not going to feed them. And Maya, Maya, thank you for that. Um, And it just, you just made it even more difficult and just kind of sat us firmly in in the conundrum that many of us are confronted with. And even those of us who do not have children, no one wants a society of people who aren't, uh, who aren't mentally engaged, who are not critically thinking, who are not stimulated mentally. And we also don't want, and I'm, or if you do, it's called Florida. 
uh, oh yeah we see what that looks like right um and as someone who's been teaching remotely for the last two years you know i always make time for the mental health check-in with my students because the isolation for many of them is m emotionally debilitating and a lot of them you know are are having a hard time uh and they they aren't necessarily readily going to talk to somebody about it but here we are uh pete dominic's here i became danny tanner and um for years, you kind of fight a, a character that you're pegged because a sitcom is not like a movie where you go out and do something else and people go, oh, you're act, you act like that. And I'm so proud to have been able to raise these girls um, and know them since they were like my girls, um, like my own daughters. I only had one kid when the show started and I didn't like her. <laughs> and then when Jody slept over the house, Aubrey was her friend. I mean, Candace was 10 and we would look forward to our scenes together because they were so real. It was at the very, very beginning. We fought over how mom died, whether it was a car wreck or, or cancer was Bob Boyette's idea. So there was a press conference once, and uh, you might want to cut out this part. There was a press conference, and I said, how did your wife die? And I said, car accident. And Bob Boyette said, cancer, at the same time. <laughs> <laughs> to the press. I said, well, she had cancer in the car. <laughs> But what you said, Brian, is accurate because I'm out there and I'm really seeing the world and, and I got thousands of people and there's something that this show has broken grounds of. First, I didn't wind up in jail. Uh, <laughs> it is a show that is, uh, is so loved all over the whole world and will always be. It's a piece of television history. That was Bob Saget uh, talking about Full Full House. He was speaking uh, about Fuller House, actually, and everyone had grown up, the Olsen twins, et cetera. Uh, again, Bob Saget, comedian, seemed like a nice man, found dead in his hotel room in Florida, age 65, uh, last night. Pete, you've done a lot of lot of shows. Uh, have your path, have your path crossed with uh, Bob Saget? Yeah, I knew Bob well. I would uh, even call him a friend. I I interviewed him several times there at SiriusXM and even on my podcast uh, not too long ago, a few months ago, I, I sat down with Bob and we had a, like an hour-long chat and I spent time with him. I, I went and saw his him on Broadway and uh, I got to know him pretty well and I, I adored him as did everybody who knew him and... I'll be actually talking about him in, in a little while on, on Canadian news because the whole world is, you know, knew the host of America's Funniest Home Videos and Danny Tanner, Tanner from Full House. But, you know, uh, a select, I should say not few. He knew everybody. Bob knew everybody in entertainment, show business and certainly comedy. And he just treated everybody the same. He really did. Like the most famous people in the world who he was friends with from Rodney Dangerfield to Gary Shanling and and John Stamos and Norman Lear to people like me and other comedians who opened for him. And, and, and he was a great dad to his three daughters. And it is uh, it's a tough one. Karen, this is a tough one. So when it crossed your uh, imagine it crossed your Twitter feed last night uh, as well. Uh, again, uh, I feel like, you know, these things are so senseless comes out of left field. Somebody was sick. That's one thing, you know, was was this out of left field? 
Yeah, for sure. I mean, he was 65. He wasn't in perfect health, but he's in good health. He didn't have uh, a drug issue uh, or, or, I mean, I don't think anybody that, that knew him thought he took his own life. And as of right now, there's no reason to think that there was any kind of foul play. Um, and, and maybe something more like a, a heart attack. I think he had had COVID recently. So who, who knows what complications there might've been there, but he performed, I think that night. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, it was, it was a shock, but it is a life fully lived. And uh, I can only imagine the type or size of the impact that one person could have on the world and there's not a lot of people who have had the type of impact that he has had on people in just so many different ways from purely entertaining them to actually helping them be better people. He was a dad, not only to like America, uh, but to the people, the girls who grew up on the set of full house and his own daughters and so many other, you know, folks who I think looked up to him in, in, in so many ways, just a great, great guy. So thoughtful, so generous, kind. And I'm, I'm proud to say he was a friend of mine and I'm proud to say that, I'll try to, you know, take what I learned from him in terms of how he treated people and, and do the same. Pete Dominic is here. Um, and, and this goes in line with what you were saying about, um, you know, kind of COVID exposing our, I'm going to call it lack of, in, uh, lack of humanity towards one another. Um, was it always there? Like I, I grew up with, you know, and maybe there's a TV that I watched. I watched a lot of television with morals to the story, you know, and, honesty and integrity and all of those things were really uh, important to me growing up, probably being shaped by a lot of the TV that I watched. And I feel like maybe the, this video game uh, generation where there are no morals, you know, where there's anything can go, you can rape a prostitute in Grand Theft Auto, you can kill as many people as possible. And maybe somehow, and I don't want to blame video games for everything, but there's, there's a certain desensitized nature in terms of like, human beings and what what it means to be among human beings are you hopeful that, that oh, we're yeah. going to give together um, yep yes yeah i am where, have where, to be. what's the source of your hope my daughters every day just watching them and 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 maybe i maybe it's foolish but giving up hope means giving up on them and i don't think that is fair to them and so I see a lot of promise in them and a lot of people, their generation. And I think that there's, there just always has to be hope. I can't imagine, you know, being in a tougher situation than we are now for so many different reasons. And we're so divided down so many different uh, lines, but I like the effort that you're making with Andrew Shu. I'm trying to make a similar effort to unify people. And I think it matters. And, you know, if you want to see change, you have to be that change. I've always believed that, you know that. And I think that the standard you walk past is the standard you accept. Those are my two favorite quotes. I try to work them in every opportunity I get because that's the source of my hope. And it's the source of my integrity. It was what gets me out of bed every day to do my work and to be the dad that I am and the friend that I am and and, and mentor that I want to be. You know, I, I love, for example, when you invite me on your show or you invite me to talk to your classroom, I say there's a thing, there's an opportunity for, for me today to make a positive impact on this group of people. And I'm going to put a lot of joy in that. I'm going to take a lot of joy out of that. And I think the best practice for me and for, for people as, as we learn the lessons you know, every day, you know, when you lose someone like Bob Saget, when you lose thousands of Americans every day, how 
precious life is and how like make the best of it today. Like really try to make a positive impact on the people around you today and stop worrying too much about tomorrow, about the things that you can't control. So that's that's my mantra. That's my practice. And I, I meditated on it every day to renew it. That's Pete Dominic. Uh, and y'all follow him at Pete Dominic, but also stand up with Pete. His podcast is fire. He has amazing guests on every single day. He does an amazing job. And I appreciate you being here today. Hey, this is Karen Hunter. You can listen to the Karen Hunter Show live every Monday through Friday at 3 p.m. East on Sirius XM Urban View Channel 126 or anytime on the Sirius XM app.